Max Lucado tells a story about his daughter. I want to read it for you. This is from his book, Just Like Jesus. It says, when my daughter was a toddler, I used to take her to a park not far from our apartment. One day as she was playing in a sandbox, an ice cream salesman approached us. I purchased her a treat, and when I turned to give it to her, I saw her mouth was full of sand. Where I had intended to put a delicacy, she put dirt. Now, did I love her with dirt in her mouth? Absolutely. Was she any less of my daughter with dirt in her mouth? Of course not. Was I going to allow her to keep the dirt in her mouth? No way. I loved her right where she was, but I refused to leave her there. I carried her over to the water fountain and washed out her mouth. Why? Because I love her. And God does the same for us, Max says. He holds us over the fountain. Spit out the dirt, honey, our Heavenly Father urges. I've got something better for you. And so he cleanses us of filth, immorality, dishonesty, prejudice, bitterness, greed. We don't enjoy the cleansing. Sometimes we even opt for the dirt over the ice cream. I can eat dirt if I want to, we pout and proclaim, which is true. We can. But if we do, the loss is ours. God has a better offer. This story makes so much sense to me. You see, I often think that I know what is best. I often think that I know what's best for my life. I know what's good. I know what's right. And I know what's best for me. But unfortunately, I sometimes choose the dirt over the dessert. Any of you ever feel the same way? I think we all do from time to time. I think sometimes we choose the, the mud pies over the French silk pies. Anybody like French silk pie? I'm a big French silk pie fan, as you can tell. But when we choose the dirt over the dessert, when we choose the mud pies over the French silk pie, we think we know what's best. We think we know what we want. We think we know what is good and what is right. We think we know the best choice, the best option. And, and all we want is, is really just a, a good life, right? That's all we want. We just want a, a good life. We want a, a nice house with a nice spouse. We want nice kids. We want nice things, a nice car, a nice job. We just want a nice life. Is there anything wrong with that? And the question I have today as I, as I think about these things, as I think about what we really want and how we want these good things and, and how we think we know what is good and best what if God has a better offer? What if God has something in mind? What if God has something in store that's even better than we can imagine? What if God has something in store that is far beyond our expectations? What if God has something in mind for us that is greater than the good that we can imagine? Because see, I think I know what's good. But too often, like I said, it's, it's a mud pie. And I don't want a mouthful of dirt anymore. I want what's really good. I want the greatest good. So this morning, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the greatest good. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture from the book of Romans. Uh, we are starting a new series here uh, called Your Story, His Glory. And this series is all about how God can take the, the bad things in our lives and how he can turn them around and make them good. 
and how he can take everything in our lives, the pain and the struggles and the illnesses and the diseases and the suffering and the sorrow and the grief and the death and how he can take it and he can turn it all around for the greatest good. But the question that we have to answer then is what is the greatest good? What does that look like for you and for me? What does that look like for us? What is the greatest good? Because like I said, we think we know what's good. We think we know what's best. But only God truly knows what is ultimately good and ultimately uh, best. So that's what we're going to talk about today as we begin this new series, uh, Your Story, His Glory. And again, this series is all about how God can take those things in our lives that we don't see as good and He can turn around and make them good. So I know that we go through all kinds of things. I know that you're going through all kinds of stuff in your life right now, and you may not see how in the world that this could possibly work out for good. You may not understand how God can turn this around and use it for your good. Over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about that. We're going to start for the next two weeks and talk about the life of Joseph. And we're going to look at how God used the situations and circumstances in Joseph's life and how he turned them around and used them for good. We're also going to talk about Lazarus. And being disappointed with God. We're going to talk about uh, how when things happen in our lives that we don't understand that sometimes lead to disappointment. We're going to talk about what that means. And how even when we're disappointed with God, he can still turn around and use it for his glory. We're going to talk about Moses and the choices that we make. Because sometimes we make bad choices. We make bad decisions. And we think, well, I'm ruined. God could never use me now. But Moses is an example of someone who made a bad choice And yet God was able to use him to do great things for his glory. So we're going to talk about, we're going to close the series by talking about Jesus and how what seemed to be the ultimate defeat turned into the ultimate victory for the glory of God. So those are the kinds of things we're going to talk about over the next six weeks uh, as we get closer, uh, as we uh, move through this series. Um, And then Joel, our children's minister, is going to preach in February on the, uh, I believe it's on the 19th. I'm going to Florida See ya, cold weather. Um, Not soon enough, six weeks from yesterday, not that I'm counting down. Um, But uh, Joel's going to preach here on the 19th of February, and then we're going to start a new series after that. I'll tell you more about that in the coming weeks as we get closer to that. But it's called The Journey, and it is a a journey through the book of Exodus and how the children of Israel on their wandering in the wilderness kind of reflects our lives as Christians today. So we're going to talk about that starting in February through March, up to Easter, and goodness gracious, Easter's just around the corner, right? If only. Um, But for today, we're going to look at the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. If you've got your Bible, grab it uh, and turn to Romans, chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. James, could you do me a favor and flip on those other two panels of lights for me, please, so people can see their Bibles? Thank you. And um, perfect. Uh, So we're looking at Romans, chapter 8. Now, this passage of scripture, Romans 8, 28 through 30, is sometimes taken out of context. And people will use this verse to prove that, um, that God wants to bless you with glory and riches. And that's not necessarily what this passage is all about. When we talk about how God is able to work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, there's a greater purpose than just being rich and wealthy and famous. There's a greater purpose to God's blessing in our lives than uh, wealth and, and riches. 
So we're going to talk about the surrounding context of this passage this morning. Whenever you study the Bible, uh, whenever you study a passage of Scripture, it is very important that we study the surrounding context. Uh, and there's several different kinds of context that we can study. Uh, for example, in the passage we're going to look at today in Romans 8, we need to look not just at these three verses that we're going to look at. We need to look at the entire chapter of, Ro- of Romans 8. And not only do we have to look at the entire chapter of Romans 8, but we need to kind of look at the whole context of the book of Romans uh, as a whole. Um, Romans is like one of my favorite books of the Bible. My favorite book of the Bible is 1 John because 1 John talks a lot about how we're to love one another in the church and that God loves us and we need to love each other. I love 1 John because uh, it really kind of sums up everything that I believe about God. Uh, but then my second favorite book is Romans. And Romans is a really tough book. It is full of uh, deep, rich theological doctrines and understandings. And it's really, really deep. I, call it, I, I liken it to wading through molasses in January. Uh, it is so deep and so thick and so heavy. I've never preached through Romans. I started at the very beginning of my ministry, like 20 years ago, I started to preach through Romans. And I realized I was way in over my head, and I said, I will never do that again. Um, So I have yet to do that uh, in 20 years. Um, But uh, today we are going to look at one small passage of Romans. Uh, And so when we look at the context of this passage, we need to look at Romans 8 as a whole. We need to look at the entire book of Romans. And we also need to consider where Romans fits and where this passage fits in the entire scope of Scripture. Uh, and not only that, but we need, there's other kinds of context as well, such as historical context. Who was Paul writing to? To whom was he writing? Uh, and when was he writing? And why was he writing? And what kind of literary genre is it? There's all kinds of questions that we can ask about a passage of Scripture before we just sit down and read it and go, oh, well, I think that means this. When we look at the context of a passage, it helps us understand the meaning even better. So in the book of Romans, the book of Romans was written about the halfway point of the first century. Uh, uh, It was written about 25 years after Jesus died and was raised from the dead. Uh, And so uh, we come to the book of Romans and we realize that this is written to, it's a letter, first of all. We need to understand that it's a letter written on an occasion to a certain group of people. In other words, the church at Rome. So Paul, the author, wrote this letter to the church at Rome to Uh, help them understand uh, doctrine uh, and to understand theological concepts like salvation and sin and baptism and grace and faith and justification. So all of these big words that we talk about in the church, uh, these are the concepts that Paul is, is writing to the Romans about. So he writes to them about these big concepts, including salvation and sin. And in Romans chapter 7, we read about sin. We read a lot about sin and how sin kind of is always kind of creeping around us and sin is always near us and how we are all sinners. Every single one of us is a sinner. We've all sinned in some way. Uh, We all continue to sin in many ways. How many of you continue to sin? How many of you hate the fact that you continue to sin? I hate the sin that is in me. I hate the, the fact that I continue to sin. And I know you're thinking, Sean, you're a preacher. You never sin. <laughs> Talk to my wife for about two minutes and ask, does Sean ever sin? She'll be more than willing to. No, she wouldn't. She's very good about that. <laughs> no, he's perfect. Paul writes about sin in chapter 7. That's a sin right there, slandering the preacher from the stage. (laughs) I heard that. But uh, 
So Paul writes about sin in chapter 7. He says, why do I do what I do? And I, the things that I know that I shouldn't do, I keep on doing them. And so he talks about uh, how sin is so prevalent in our lives. So we've got this book, this letter written to the Roman church made up of Jews and Gentiles, mostly Gentiles. Uh, and uh, they're, they're needing to understand these deep theological concepts, these doctrines of the faith. Uh, and, and then he comes to chapter 7 and says, we have this sin problem. But in chapter 8, he says we have a solution, that God provided a solution by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus and you believe in him and you repent from your sins and you confess your faith, you get baptized and God washes away your sins. He cleanses you from sin. And now you are more than conquerors because of Jesus. And if you look at Romans chapter 8, Verse 1, it says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That when we get baptized into Christ, into his death, burial, and resurrection, we are clothed with Christ, we are baptized into Christ, and there is no condemnation for us. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Right? Amen. That's a good place to be where there's no condemnation. Well, he continues writing in Romans chapter 8 about how there is, we live by the Spirit and that we are given life by the Spirit of God. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, check out this verse right here. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There's two concepts here. One is a present suffering and a future glory. So we suffer in the present. How many of you are suffering today? How many of you feel like you're suffering? In some way, maybe physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Maybe you're suffering in some way today. Those sufferings are real. And those are your present sufferings. But what does Paul say? I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory of that will be revealed in us. That God has a glorious plan and a glorious purpose for your life. And the present sufferings that you are enduring are nothing compared with the future glory that he has in, in store for you. Nothing compared to it. So that brings us to our passage today. Romans 8, 28 through 30. It's on page 800 of the Bible in the chair in front of you. If you didn't bring your Bible... Or if you did bring your Bible, look at Romans 8, 28 through 30. Now, again, we see that Paul was talking about sin, and then he's talking about how there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, and that we live by the Spirit. And then he says this. He talks about how we have present sufferings, but there's a future glory in store for us. And he says in Romans 8, 28, and we know, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. We'll read the rest in just a moment. But one of the things that I think we need to really understand about this passage here is that we have present sufferings that God is going to take and he is going to work them out for good. That he is able to take our present sufferings, work them out for good, and that great and there, there is a greatest good that he is working them out for. And we find that greatest good in verse 29 when he says, we will be conformed to the image of his son. 
We will be conformed to the image of his son. The greatest good, my friends, is that we would look like Jesus. That's the greatest good. So when he says, we know that God works for the good of those who love him, that God will work all things together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. When he talks about working all things together for good, he is talking about making us look like Jesus. That is the context. That is the concept. That is so important. Because sometimes we think, well, God's going to take my bad and he's going to work out for good and I'm going to live in a big mansion on a hill and I'm going to have lots of cars. I'm going to have lots of designer clothes. I'm going to have a really great job and really great. That may happen, but there's no guarantee and there's no promise. That's not what this is about. That God is going to take your present sufferings and work them out in such a way for your greatest good. And your greatest good is that you would look more like Jesus. What does that look like? Keep reading. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he also, not also along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Those are the present sufferings that we suffer. Those, those things right there. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Ooh, that was weak. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. There you go. What does this look like? That God is going to take your pain and your suffering, whether it's physical, emotional, he's going to take your struggles, whether they're financial or relational, he is going to take your suffering, your present sufferings, and work them out for good, for your greatest good. And your greatest good is that you would look like Jesus. So what does that look like? How do we look more like Jesus? What is he calling us to do? I think we find the answer in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2. Ephesians is another book that Paul wrote, and this is what it says. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. You may be thinking to yourself, how can God take my pain and help me live a life of love? He can take your pain, your physical pain, and help you sympathize with those who are also going through physical pain, who are struggling with pain. And you can love them in the midst of their pain because you know what it's like. How can God take my financial struggles and work them out for the greatest good to help me look more like Jesus and live a life of love? Again, you can sympathize. You can Look at someone who's also struggling and say, you know what? I'm right here with you, and let me encourage you. Or maybe you're not struggling financially. Maybe God can 
take your uh, situation and use it for the good of someone else by blessing them. Or maybe you struggle with mental illness or physical disease, and God can take your struggles with mental illness and physical disease, and he can turn that around to help you help someone else and live a life of love like Jesus. Or perhaps you are uh, struggling today emotionally. You miss someone that you love. And God can use you to lovingly care and for and comfort someone else. Or maybe you're being persecuted at work. Or maybe you're being bullied at school because of your faith or just because of the way you look, because of the way you act. Maybe you're being picked on at work or at school. And God can take those present sufferings and help you learn to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, just like Jesus said to you. We go through struggles. We go through pain. We go through hardships and tough times. And I believe that God can take those things and he can take those situations and he can take those circumstances and he can turn them around and use them for our greatest good. And like I said, our greatest good is not to have all the finest things of this world. It's not to have all the toys and the gadgets, guilty as charged. Uh, it's not to have stuff. But it's that we would look like Jesus, just like Jesus. And so while we are busy shoveling sand into our mouths and shoveling dirt into our mouths, thinking we know what is best and thinking we know what is good, God has something greater in store for us. God has the greatest good in mind for us, that we would live that life of love and look like Jesus. And follow his example. And I have some really good news for you, my friends. You see, in this life, we're going to struggle to look like Jesus. We're going to be selfish. We are not going to be loving all the time. We are not going to be strong all the time. We're going to have those present sufferings that Paul talked about in Romans 8. We'll have those present sufferings. And we're not going to always look like Jesus. But there is coming a day when we will. There is coming a day when we will look exactly like Jesus. I want to show you a verse, two verses from Philippians chapter 3, where Paul wrote to the Philippian church, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body God can take your present sufferings and let him remind you that there is coming a day when he will take your sufferings and turn them into glory his glory that our bodies will be transformed and they will look more like his glorious body and we will look exactly like Jesus when Jesus comes back he has promised to take the pain away, the struggles away, the suffering away, the sin away. It will go be gone forever. 
and we will live forever with him. So your body that's broken, your mind that's broken, your heart that's broken, Jesus is going to fix it when he returns. Your body will be like his glorious body, and you will look exactly like him. So in this life, you may not resemble him very much or very often, but just know that God is using your present sufferings and your present circumstances and your present situations, even your present choices, and he is using them to make you look more like Jesus. And when he returns, you will look exactly like him, and we will have the hope and the joy and the promise of eternity and we will be with him and reign with him forever and ever and ever. So my friends, let me encourage you today to spit out the mud pie. Look at your sufferings in a different way. As you go through this week and as you face those tough times, you face those difficulties, you face those struggles, you face those sins, you face those circumstances and those situations that are just dogging you and beating you up those people who are frustrating you and, and, and coming against you, as you face those present sufferings, know that there is a future glory for the glory of God. And he will take your story and use it for his glory as he makes you look more like his son. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are very thankful and grateful that you are the God who can take our situations and our circumstances, our struggles and our sins. You can take all things and work them together for good. We so often fall short in so many ways. We struggle with sin. We struggle with hate and lies. And, and we struggle with doubt and fear the Bible tells us that you can take all these things and turn them around to help us look more like Jesus so this week may we live that life of love that we would look more like him thank you for Jesus for his love for his saving grace and I pray for my friends that they will have a great week this week that you would watch over us guide us lead us help us to be more like Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.